The things that we wear have a major impact on who we are. And a lot of times we are allowing other people's influence to impact what we wear. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Way back in 2016, I was sitting in my favorite comfy olive green reading chair. It sat right in front of these big, beautiful windows we had that was overlooking the stream in our backyard. This was the house of my dreams. It was the reading spot of my dreams. I had every single material thing I could ever possibly want to help me be comfortable. And I sat down completely unknowingly to read a Wayne Dyer book. If you know me, if you heard from me, if you followed me, you probably know Wayne Dyer is the author who changed my life. And I stumbled upon his work um, when everything around me started to crumble. Everything around me was going wrong, despite the fact that I had every single thing I could ever want. I sat down to read this book and stopped dead in my tracks when I got to this particular paragraph that I want to read to you. Ordinary is, well, so ordinary. It means that you do all of the things that your culture and your family have programmed you to do. It implies that you fit in, follow the rules, study hard, take care of your obligations, fill out the forms, pay your taxes, get a job and do what every law abiding citizen does. And then you retire, play with your grandchildren and ultimately I want to emphasize that there's absolutely nothing wrong with this scenario. It's perfectly fine. But if it were completely acceptable for you, you wouldn't be reading this book. As soon as I read those words, something in me just felt like it was given this permission for the first time in forever. And as I look back now, I can plainly see and feel and understand that 
there was always a part of me that didn't want ordinary, that wanted extraordinary. But I assumed, I thought, I had been told that the only option for me was ordinary. And because I thought the only option for me was ordinary, I thought, well, I may as well make it the best kind of ordinary. I'll have the best house. I'll have the best clothes. I'll make sure my body is, you know, what society currently says is the best possible body. If I'm going to have to live an ordinary life, I guess I better do my best to make it the best kind of ordinary. But reading those words was like a sucker punch to the gut because I didn't know if it was actually okay to want more, to want bigger, to crave extraordinary. Because like most of us, I grew up hearing things like, be thankful for what you have. And if I ever said that I wanted more, I was ungrateful. I never wanted to be ungrateful. I definitely wanted to be thankful for what I have. And on top of that, I also grew up being asked the age-old question of what do you want to be when you grow up, right? What type of ordinary life do you want? What job does that entail for you? And I would say something like, maybe a vet. I want to be a veterinarian. That was okay. I want to be a teacher. Yeah, that's okay. But if you said anything like, I want to be a writer. Oh, no. Nope. That's too hard. It's not possible. It's never going to happen for you. Let me tell you all the reasons why and how difficult it is. Or I want to be an actress. Nope. Can't do it. It's not going to happen. Impossible. Too difficult for you. Let me tell you how difficult it is. Right? It was as if we were told we could do anything, we could be anything, as long as it fit within these rules of the things that we clearly could not do, have, or even want. You can be anything you want if you follow these preset rules that I believe will lead to you being successful. And of course, the people who told us this, it didn't matter if any of this advice actually worked for them or helped them accomplish anything they somehow knew that it would work for us. But on top of the direct influence we're given from these parents, teachers, life forces in our life, you know, we're giving these very clear cut messages of no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't have that, right? But on top of those, we're given really, really subtle messages. Messages on how to dress, how to look, and what level of too much we are allowed to not get to, <laughs> right? Too loud, too talkative, too goofy, too silly, too shy, too flirty, whatever it might be. Beyond my parents, school taught me that this world was not made for someone like me. If you are anyone who has gone to school, you've taken the tests, Maybe you've even been like me and you studied your absolute hardest, woke up the next day, did your best on the test and failed anyway. It can be such a blow to feel like you have given your all, you are doing your best and it's not good enough. And on top of it, you might have teachers, friends, family saying that you're not trying hard enough, but you quite literally physically couldn't possibly try harder because you are giving your absolute all, but you're failing at a system that just wasn't designed for you. However, because we're living in this system, 
we're kind of tricked into believing that this is the only way that the world operates. And if you can't operate in this system, you can't operate in life. Now, I don't know about you, but all of this influence left me feeling like I could do absolutely anything I wanted to in this world, except for be myself. That was the only downside. I can't do that. She's too loud. She's too annoying. She's too shy. She's too goofy. She's too loud. Not loud enough. It wasn't until I opened that book, that book from Wayne Dyer, that I was able to question whether or not all of this stuff that I had been told, all of this stuff that I had grown up believing might actually not be true. So I started absorbing more books like this, more books by Wayne Dyer, more books in the spiritual department, more books in the self-help department. And one of the things that I learned specifically from Wayne, from this book, Wishes Fulfilled, was that in order to be who you feel called to be in this life, you have to be willing to let go of who you currently believe you are. Now, Wayne goes really deep, really woo-woo in this book, as some people might say. He talks about how we need to let go of the truths we believe about ourselves. So basically everything we believe to be true about ourselves, right? We have to let go of what we've been taught to believe about the world around us. We have to let go of the very identity that we've created and lived by. But how do you do that? Because we're just living by it. It's just who we are, right? It's a really tricky thing to ask someone to just release their entire identity and who they are so that they can be who they're meant to be. I don't know about you, but hearing all of that felt like a lot and it felt impossible. It's like trying to convince the sky it never really was blue to begin with, which maybe scientifically it's not, but all in all, I think you know what I'm saying. It's a pretty tricky thing to attempt to do, but I wanted to do it. And since I didn't really know how to start breaking down my very foundation, my identity, myself, I decided to start with something simpler. So I headed to my closet. Because whether we are aware of it or not, our clothing has a major impact on how we feel about ourselves and it is an instant statement to the world around us about who we are. It says so much. Because like I'll tell you later, impressions are 10 seconds. Impressions on new people we meet take 10 seconds. And I'll dive into that more later. But for right now, I want you to consider and tell me if this is true for you, that you used to think there were rules to how to dress. I don't think everyone lived by these. We are all unique to our circumstances, but mine particularly told me that dressing well meant dressing and wearing what was currently in style. No socks with sandals, no white after Labor Day, Definitely no Crocs. No tennis shoes with a dress. I was really kind of fixated on that one. I still am. I, I don't understand it. But if you take a look back or listen to what I just said, you might understand that I had some hangups about shoes because I had a lot of rules for what you could and could wear your shoes with. 
Now I realize the best way for each of us to show up as our best is to dress in what makes us feel most authentically us, even if that means socks with sandals or comfortable Crocs or tennis shoes and a dress. But back then I thought it had to look a certain way. It had to be a certain way. I thought that if not every single person dressed by these rules, that they were somehow more unhappy, less than, terribly lost and misguided. But I think about my husband, who has been really open about the fact that he grew up with a single mom who did her absolute best to provide for her kids. But this often left him wearing clothing that wasn't necessarily his top choice. It wasn't top tier. It wasn't his pick. And one of the things that he still jokes about is that he had to wear a Bart Simpson t-shirt, but he was never a fan of the Simpsons. <laughs> and that really got to him as a kid. So he's walking around wearing a Bart Simpson shirt, who, yeah, Bart Simpson might've been popular in style, but for my husband, he meant nothing. It wasn't something he was even watching on TV. And I want you to stop for a second and consider what this means. Because even though, like I said, he was wearing something that could have been considered popular for the times, but it wasn't him. And if it's not him, if we're wearing stuff that might make us approved of by other people, but doesn't really align with or fit who we are, we're going to feel uncomfortable. Something's going to feel off. So I want you to pause if you can and think for a time, if there was ever a moment in your life that you were forced to wear something you didn't want, like an itchy Christmas sweater, you know, when parents dress you up really nice for church and drag you out for Christmas, maybe that's not something that happens to people anymore. But it's something that happened to me all the time. But I loved dressing up. I loved getting my heels on and my dress on and putting on tights and being kind of uncomfortable but feeling really pretty. <laughs> it was something I adored. But maybe you didn't. Now, for example, you put me in oversized sweatshirts and an oversized pair of pants. Tell me no makeup hair undone, and I can go out in public. Some people would be like, yes, this is freedom. I can walk out in my sweats. This is truly my authentic self. I'm so comfortable like this. I would want to crawl into a hole. I couldn't do it. It would be awful. It would be the worst kind of torture for me. I truly believe that what we wear, what we choose to wear, what we feel most comfortable in, is an instant reflection to everyone else where we can make a statement about who we are. Now, I live by a lot of other people's statements about how I should dress and how I should look, unknowingly. For example, my dad told me once that I looked so good in pink. He walked in when I, my grandma had just put on a brand new pink jumper on me. I was getting my hair tied back and he came in the room and said, Wow, Renee, pink is your color. I was like three or four, but I still remember this. And I said, well, what does that mean, Dad? What does it mean that pink's my color? So he explained to me, well, you look good in pink. So my brain took that information and said, oh, okay, I look good in pink. Thank you. I will wear pink as often as I possibly can then. And because my mom never got to wear dresses as a kid, she didn't get to have the long hair. She bought me a ton of dresses. She wanted me to look as girly as possible, but I didn't necessarily get to pick out the dresses. It was kind of her way of saying, no, this will be better for you because I never got it, right? All with the best of intentions, of course. 
And then on top of it, there were the most popular girls in TV and movies. And without saying anything, just by visually observing these shows and these movies, I picked up on the fact that the most popular girls, the girls that everybody else wanted to be like, were the girls who wore high heels everywhere, starting with Cher in Clueless when I was nine years old. And slowly transferred into Spice Girls when I, when I hit middle school. I wore platform shoes to be like a Spice Girl every single day of seventh grade, unless there was a dare that I forgot about. My brain took all of this information and formed it into an identity for my clothing and rules for what clothing I should and shouldn't wear. Of course, I didn't realize I really wasn't picking any of it. I was just translating it to be truth or was being told that it was a truth. And it's kind of funny to think, and that's why the movie Mean Girls is so well-loved. I'm, I'm obsessed with Mean Girls. There's a reason it's a cult classic and has a huge following because it's so freaking true and we can all relate to this. More than anything in the area of dressing is the scene where, you know, they're flashing to all the different girls in the school. And one of the girls says, I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and flip-flops. This line has been like echoing in my brain over the last few years as I've shared my minimalist journey more and more because it is so true for who I am. I saw Eva Longoria wearing high heels and skinny jeans, so I bought high heels and skinny jeans. I saw Baby Spice wearing a pink dress with white tennis shoe platforms, so I bought a pink dress and white tennis shoe platforms. I didn't know I was doing any of this. It was all accidental and inadvertent. But now as an adult, I really wanted to take back my sense of identity and the most basic level, which was my wardrobe. Because like I said, diving into changing who I am from the inside out is, that's a lot. Starting with my wardrobe felt so much easier. And it reminded me of this time I went shopping with my grandma when I was maybe 11 or 12, you know, right at that really impressionable age. And I was already dying to please all of the people around me. I wanted my grandma especially to approve of me because I loved my grandma so much. I wanted her to love me back for sure. So we were walking through this department store and I came across this shirt and instantly my eyes lit up and I grabbed the shirt and I was like, oh, I love this. And I could see my grandma didn't love it as much as I did. Right. She had that look of like, mm, yeah, sure. And I picked it up and I held it against myself and I said, Grandma, do you like this? Grammy, do you like this? Do you like this? And you could tell, no, no, was her answer. Sure don't like it. But what she said to me was, it doesn't matter if I like it. Do you like it? And in that moment, I still remember the feeling of going, holy crap, does it matter if I like it? Like I get, I get to have a say in the things that I buy. I don't need your approval. It doesn't need to be okayed by anybody. That was like a revelation to me. So as an adult, as I'm beginning this life transforming change, I walked into my closet and I brought my Grammy question in with me and started asking myself, what do I actually like in this closet? 
I looked around at the clothes, high, low. I had a huge walk-in closet, shoes everywhere, multiple racks. And I started pulling out only the things that I always wanted to wear. So, and I had to put my limiting beliefs, my instant thoughts out of my mind because my first thoughts were, whenever I would go into my closet, I would instantly want to reach for a shirt. I'd want to reach for a t-shirt or something. And my thoughts would go, oh, you can't wear that. You just wore that last week. Or, um, no, you have something newer that should be worn before that gets worn. You took a picture in that and you're going to be taking pictures today. We can't have people see you in the same outfit, especially being photographed, Renee. Talk about the lowest level of humiliation, right? Being seen in the same shirt. But I had all of these things that I used to stop myself from grabbing the stuff that I always wanted to wear. So now at this time, when I stepped in my closet, I said, I'm not going to shut those voices out. And I'm just going to grab the shirts that I always want to wear, but talk myself out of wearing all of the time. I pulled all of those out and then maybe tweaked a few things. Like if I picked out a few tank tops I loved, I thought, well, I live in Minnesota. Okay. So I'm going to need outerwear, something warmer, pretty much nine to 12 months out of the year. So if I had a tank top that I really liked, I would scan through my closet to see if there was maybe a jean jacket or a sweatshirt or a sweater that could go over it so that I could continue to wear that tank top. Or if I had a jacket or something or an overcoat, I wanted to make sure that I paired with it a shirt that can go under it so I could continue to wear that jacket. That was the only other thing I did. I picked out all of my favorite things, made sure that they had a buddy, and then I got rid of everything else with maybe a few exceptions. Like, gotta keep my church shoes. <laughs> Little examples like that of stuff that I kind of felt I still had to hang on to. But for the most part, everything else went into two, three, four giant trash bags and got hauled directly to donations that day. Now, for the first time, this was so exciting to me because I hung everything back up in my closet. My closet went from packed full to basically empty. <laughs> like I didn't need all of the space anymore. I could have made do with like an entryway closet at this point, because that's how few things I truly loved in my closet. But I knew that I had a wardrobe that I picked and I took note of what I liked. I thought, okay, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing here is open neck. I liked a lot of open neck stuff. And in the jean department, it had to be a jeans with a little bit of stretchy because I have no butt. And that stretch kind of helps hug my no butt so that people think that I have one. So those were my favorites. Those are the few things that I noticed. And you know what else I noticed? I had one pink shirt. Now I say this to you because pink became my identity in high school. I wore pink every single day. It was like what I was known for. I was known for the color pink. I had pink nails. I had pink shoes. I had a pink flip-flop necklace. I had pink ankle bracelets. I wore pink shirts. My whole closet was filled with pink. Starting in high school. You know what else started in high school? My daddy issues. Okay. So I could clearly see looking back that my dad telling me that pink was my color had a direct impact on the fact that I wore pink every single day throughout basically my entire high school career. The things that we wear have a major impact on who we are. And a lot of times we are allowing other people's influence to impact what we wear. 
So around the time I'm walking around with my new wardrobe, right? My next step was to filter my thoughts. I thought, well, I've got new clothes. I'm feeling good in what I'm wearing. I still can't quite just completely change myself from the inside out. That's a lot of work. But as a recovering people pleaser, like I said, I wanted to wear the stuff that everybody else liked on me. I wanted to be approved of with my outfits. I started to have to come to terms with the fact that I was a major people pleaser. And I also wanted to start to understand what my actual thoughts were because I had worked so hard to make sure everybody else around me was happy. I was so good at it. I'm still pretty good at it, right? If I walked into a middle of a conversation and person number one said, oh my God, I hate that new Netflix series. My instant response would be, oh my God, ew, I know, me too, I hate it. But then if person number three came up and was like, actually, you know what? I really liked that series. It was really good. I would go into like a cold sweat panic because I just agreed with person number one. But in reality, I kind of actually did like the show, but I just blindly jumped in and agreed with person number one. But now I can't agree with person number three who came in because if I agree with that person, while also have, having just agreed with person number one who have two totally opposing views, then I that will know I'm a fraud. So I have to just stick with this, yeah, I totally hate that series point of view. Even though I maybe really want to talk about how awesome that series was, you know? And this was my first step to filtering my thoughts. When I would walk into those conversations, I would pause before I would speak. And... Give myself permission to disagree, even on the most fundamental, basic level, like a Netflix TV series, right? So if person number one comes up and says, oh my God, I totally hated that series. I would say, you know, I watched it. I actually really liked it. And that felt like torture to me. If you are a people pleaser, you probably know that that felt like a crime against humanity. It went against everything. And all I was doing was disagreeing about the opinion of a TV show, but it was very, very difficult. And it kind of reminds me, I started doing this into adulthood, but it reminds me of a time in middle school. If you went to middle school, which I think most of us did, if you did the junior high years, those awkward years when we're all just trying to fit in, I know you're probably going to feel this story in the core of your being and you're going to die of secondhand embarrassment just for me. Okay, so imagine it, 12 years old, walking into a big group of people, a big group of popular boys, popular girls, and someone made a joke. And so I laughed at the joke. And one of the most popular boys in school, definitely one of the most popular, turned to me and said, why are you laughing? And I was like, because it's like funny. I just, because I think it's funny. That awfulness, we're really inside. I was like, I have no idea I'm laughing because all of you guys are laughing. That's why I'm laughing. And he wanted me to explain why I was laughing and I had nothing. I was like, I guess I don't know. <sighs> Awful. Nothing could be worse in middle school than making a jackass out of yourself like that. But he said to me, don't laugh at things you don't understand. 
And he might have even said, just say, I don't get it or I don't understand. I don't know if he told me that or if I just decided to do it myself. But from that moment on, if anyone around me said anything that I didn't get and they were all laughing, I would just go, I don't get it. And people tease me like I was the ditz girl. I don't get it. I don't get it. People might have thought it was ditzy of me. And I could have easily been embarrassed. But I proudly walked around saying, I don't get it. Rather than being that person who laughs at a joke she doesn't understand and gets humiliated in front of an entire group of popular kids. Right? So now I was taking that energy from my 12-year-old self, bringing it into my 27-year-old self, into adult conversations that really aren't that difficult, (laughs) that really aren't that different from middle school conversations, right? Pretty sad how little of a shift there really can be sometimes. But I really worked in conversations to listen and check myself and to make a true statement, even if it felt uncomfortable. And I would absorb whatever emotions came up if I disagreed with the person who was speaking. Now, this isn't a hot-on-topic thing where I leapt in with politics. I didn't even know how I felt about a Netflix show. You think I knew how I felt about major global issues? No, I sure didn't, because I had adapted so much to agreeing with whoever was around me. And I really wanted to start to understand how I felt about those hot-button topics. Did I have an opinion? Did I have something to offer? I didn't know because I had gotten so good at just hearing and agreeing with whatever anybody else around me was saying. So I started doing it in conversations and I started doing it on one of the scariest places of all, social media. Now I'm really big into social media back then. I was just really enjoying my Facebook friends, okay? But when I would scroll through Facebook and see a funny meme, In previous times, I would laugh at that meme and then click on the comments and someone would say, this is so terrible and so ignorant. How can't believe anyone would ever laugh at this. And then I would be like, oh, I feel so much shame for even laughing. Like it was wrong of me. And I didn't even know what to think was funny anymore. So as I started scrolling through social media, I started first gathering my thoughts and opinions, whether it was a hot button topic or whether it was an innocent meme. I would take the article, I would read it, I would try to understand it, or I would just take the joke for what it was and read other people's comments, knowing that I didn't need to shift my thoughts or my opinions based on theirs. Because Lord knows they all had a variety of comments. But this is how I practiced knowing who I am. And it might sound so silly, and I don't know if anyone else has these this big of an issue being connected with who they are, but I sure needed help. And this is how I got started in silly conversations and reading pointless memes on Facebook and asking myself how I actually felt about these things. I learned to embrace and accept that we are all different, not not wrong, not right, just different in our opinions. And it's okay to do that. So my next natural step from there was to just let people be different. Like I said, as I'm scrolling through the comments and they disagree with me or they feel differently about a TV show than I do, I just let them have that. This is really difficult to do. Really, 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 really difficult. Maybe not on Facebook. You're going, I don't care what people think in the comments. 
I don't care what other people say about memes, but how about in real life? I want you to think of three examples of people. I want you to think of a parent. I want you to think of a friend. And I want you to think of an enemy. And I want you to think to yourself, what would all of these people use to describe me? How would these people describe me? What would they say that they love about me? And what would they say they want to change about me? Take the time, write it out, think through it. Um, and then come back next week for part two and we'll carry on the rest of this conversation. Take the time to marinate in this, really asking yourself how these three types of people, your parent, your friend, your enemy, would all describe you and one thing that they would all want to change about you. And then come back next week because we're gonna finish this talk. It's going to be an amazing conversation and I'm going to share with you some of the biggest life-dropping bomb moments that completely helped me change my life. Hey again, thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love. Until next time.